My name is Julie Fowlis and I'm a singer originally from the Outer Hebrides, an island called North Uist, and living in the Highlands of Scotland now, and I sing predominantly in Scottish Gaelic. Julie Fowlis is an artist whose voice sings with the sound not just of the island people she comes from, but with the beauty of her own language. I've been listening to her songs for many years, and I've been intrigued by her technique, her mouth singing, part the bill, the uniqueness of her tone, the clarity of her vocal chords. We both share a journey into song from a Gaelic community, and like her, language and song are woven into my identity. And in this conversation with Julie Fowlis, I want to explore that bond and discover what shapes her sonic world, her sense of home, her sense of belonging. And I want to find out what defines her as a singer, as a carrier of songs and stories across the generations, all in a language so beautiful to hear and at times so close to our own Gaelge. And yet, even to me as a native speaker, so beautifully different. You know, I was drawn instinctively to these songs, songs from home, songs from the islands, songs that had a great meaning for me. It's just that's who I am, and it's just the song and you and the voice. Beautiful. Okay, so we'll, we'll do the formal stuff later, yes. but tell me about your children. I have two children, and they're aged five and three. And I guess when, thinking back to when I was pregnant with my, my first child, I remember very clearly meeting this great singer from South Uist who told me that, he said, the next time I see you, he said, you'll sing differently. He said, because you'll have had your baby. I did remember that conversation and being quite surprised by it. I had no expectation that my voice would change after having children. But I think it has. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly how it's changed. But I feel that there's a, a depth to it and a tonal change to my voice, definitely since having children. And it might just be from endless late nights and early mornings and different sleeping patterns, being more tired. But I would like to think there was more to it than that, that there's something within me has changed. And maybe what you're expressing is, perhaps takes on a different meaning, a deeper 
context perhaps with having children because they put everything in a different light. Isn't that beautiful? That's so good. The only thing I can say in response is, that can't happen to me. <laughs> you know, but that is fascinating. You've noticed a physical change in your voice which indicates to you that something has changed within. Yes, definitely. And I suppose, thinking about some of the songs I sing, my connection to the songs has changed too. So just very simple things like kids' songs that I used to teach kids, they just take on this really deeper meaning. Things like lullabies that I used to always sing, I used to perform them on stage. And now I think about them and I think, comes I, I sang these songs and I never ever sang them for their purpose, you know? And it was only upon having kids then that I sang lullabies endlessly, you know, to soothe them, to get them to sleep and to calm them. And your connection to these very simple songs has a whole new meaning then. Did it, I'm curious, did it act as a trigger to remember your own upbringing, your own relationship with your mother, your own first experiences of hearing, singing? I suppose it did. It made me just analyse the purpose of song, why we sing and how you sing, when you sing. I guess as a touring professional musician, you get into... I mean, I never, I had never planned or wanted to be a professional musician. I was always too nervous and I didn't really enjoy being singled out and put in a spotlight. I didn't really enjoy that. I loved performing as part of a, you know, an orchestra or as maybe as a choir or a pipe band or something like that. But I didn't really enjoy being singled out. So I kind of fell into the performing thing almost by accident. But once I was in that groove, I guess you're in a pattern and you're in a lifestyle and suddenly you're on the stage, you know, every second night performing these songs. And I suppose when I had the girls, it was a snap back to, actually, these, these, this is what the songs are for. And it makes you stop and think about the songs. It just makes you want to connect with them in a different way, maybe in a deeper way. Maybe a good exercise to just to, to think about what you're doing. And it made me think about the depth of the tradition, I suppose, in, in a lot of ways. And I, I enjoy going back and thinking about the songs, researching the songs, choosing them maybe a bit more carefully as well now. Tell me a little bit more about those circumstances. Can you give me a mental image of what is the island kind of ecosystem there from which you come and from which your music culture comes? Well, I guess North Uist is the island that sits right in the middle of the of the string of islands known as the Outer Hebrides, or the Western Isles, in Chicago. Despite being very, very close, each island is very distinctive, 
has its own character. The people have their own characteristics and are known for different things. The landscape of each island is known for different things as well. They're described in different ways, like the islands to the north, Ilanfruich, but Chirivurind, which south you is Chidanyarna, what north you is. So the land of the barley, it's, everything's very descriptive. The island itself is very flat, close to sea level, maybe about 1,400 people. Up until very recently, the vast majority of people were native Gaelic speakers, and that number is always going down. But at the same time, we've people who are incomers to the area are now, you know, immersing their own children and and themselves in the culture and in the language. And so the dynamic of the place is changing, but hasn't it always changed? It's always a constantly evolving, changing place. <laughs> I guess the island to me represents a tradition and a culture that in many ways has survived and remained largely unchanged because of its geographical position. It was saved by being amidst the waves, if yeah. you like. Yeah, absolutely. Hard to get to. Hard to get to. Hard to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and therefore it's almost like glancing into, into history through the permafrost or something. It survived and it's been contained. And it's it, it's a kind of a well-used phrase, but like a kind of window into the past, you know, the songs and uh, the dialects, the language, all, they all have existed there for such a long time and continue to exist, albeit under increasing pressure. And you, you, you build a picture there of a place where land and language and music, they're kind of one system. Yeah. Do you recall what it was like growing up within the embrace of that culture? What are your earliest memories of the language and the music and what was what was it like? Well I guess thinking of the language, my mother's a native Gaelic speaker, my father is not. And so we always had the two languages in the house and my mother's family would always speak Gaelic first to one another. So I remember growing up in a bilingual household and you know, as as youngsters, we'd yearn to be listening to pop music and all that kind of thing as well. We had all long wave radio and listen to the charts the weekend and we'd try and record them and all that. But at the same time, we'd listen to the Gaelic radio, we'd listen to my dad's LPs, you know, this old vinyl collection. And I guess the important thing for me looking back was the Gaelic music and traditional music sat perfectly alongside everything else. And it was as valid and as important to me as everything else that I was listening to and probably looking back perhaps much more so but I didn't really realize it at the time and I left the island just at the beginning of my teenage years and looking back that's probably had quite a profound effect on what I do now and perhaps Engaging with the music and with the songs more keenly after I left was maybe my way of trying to retain that connection to a place that I call home. Then if you had stayed? 
I don't think I'd be doing what I do now. You're saying, if I read you correctly, that creating a distance between you and home somehow energised your desire to dig deeper into your tradition. I think so. I think it magnified the tradition for me in a way. It made me see it for what it really was. But it, it took for me to leave the island, for me to see how, how important it was. I was young too, though. I think when you're younger, you know, you do take things for granted. So it was maybe a mix of youth and being surrounded by something that maybe I took the music for granted a little bit. And it was only when I left and I realised that not everybody has that. Not everybody can hear Gaelic every day, hear this kind of music every day, go along to the shop and, you know, people would give you songs. Uh, it's, it's just this incredible connection of community and tradition and language. They're all so interlocked and it's incredible then when you see the, the flip side of that. We kind of live in this kind of globalised society now, you know, everyone's so connected and it's wonderful. But I think you lose that sense of, of local community and the importance of connecting with your own community and through things like music and song. And how it's incredible to see how that connects people, you know? You could be on the other side of the world singing a Gaelic song in Australia and you could be singing to somebody who's from one of the islands and you could have them reduced to tears by the power of those words and that melody from home because I think, especially in the Gaelic tradition certainly, so much of the song is, is rooted in the landscape and in our history. Does the power to affect people when you sing for them surprise you? Where do you think it lies? Where is it from? It's a, it's a funny thing and it's it's something that I've never felt really very comfortable with because I'm always so worrying about, especially when we're, you know, if you're performing, for example, on stage, with someone like me, I'm always worried about 
oh, you know, was that a good performance or did I deliver that correctly? Did I do it justice? And you're so busy worrying about maybe your own performance that you don't realise that actually it might be having a, a real effect on somebody out, you know, listening, you know. It can take you aback speaking to people afterwards and, you know, people reduced to tears. You know, it's not my voice particularly, I'm sure, the song, you know, and the melody, but it, the song has moved me enough to learn it, to work on it and to want to deliver it on stage. And therefore, why shouldn't it move somebody else in a similar way? What kind of songs do you really like learning? Do you, do you, do you learn many different kinds? Yeah. Are, what, have you any kind of particular area that you love exploring? Well, as I say, I kind of fell into performing accidentally, I feel, you know. I just played music with friends and it kind of grew into doing a few sessions and then it was a few paid gigs and all of a sudden it was festivals and things. I kind of fell into it by accident and therefore I had no great plan of what I was going to sing or what I was going to perform. And when it was asked of me to sing at a few concerts, the thing that I went to first, my natural instinct was to go to songs from home, things that I knew, things from childhood, Gaelic songs. <laughs> I guess as my career progressed a little bit, people were wondering if I would sing in English and what would you sing in English and when will you sing in English? And it became a, a thing that I didn't sing in English. And for me, it never was a thing. It was never an issue. It's just that, you know, I was drawn instinctively to these songs, songs from home, songs from the islands, songs that had a great meaning for me. And I didn't feel that, I didn't have that connect with any other body of, of work in, in the English language, just at that time. And over the years, I've had the chance to sing in English and collaborate with lots of other musicians and singers. And, it, and I've enjoyed every single minute of it. But my real draw is to traditional song, and especially to Scottish Gaelic song. And within that, I suppose, local songs from my own home island, from even from the localised area from where my family are from, they haven't moved much in quite a few hundred years, you know, so the, there's a really strong family link in the area that uh, my mum was from. And I love going and speaking to the older singers there and getting songs from them. And when you ask somebody to teach you a song, especially from the older you know, tradition bearers, you never just get the song, you get the story that goes with the song and you get, you end up inevitably getting a lot of information about local history and local characters, things that you didn't know about before. So it's never just the song. There's always this thing that surrounds the song that you take with it. Is and that important? It's really important. It gives the song wings. It gives it that something else that carries it on to the next person and it has its story and its reason for being. It strikes me you're very aware that you're part of a chain of receiving and giving 
is that how you see tradition? I think so. I, I, I do, yeah. And I feel very lucky that I have been around, alive at a time where I was able to learn from real tradition beaters who learnt in the old traditional manner of learning songs not trying to over-romanticise it, you know, at the fireplace or at the kitchen table or whatever, it doesn't matter, but they learned from just listening and listening and listening to the same songs and stories being delivered in very informal gatherings, Kayleys, and I feel very lucky to have been able to learn in that same way from them. Do you, do you ever think, as, as I do myself anyway sometimes, that there are different facets to the tradition? Yes. There are those that devote their lives to teaching, mm-hmm. to providing us with these raw materials, and they're kind of the unsung heroes. Yeah. And then there's the likes of yourself who go out and broadcast that to the wider world. Is that a picture that chimes with you? Yeah, I think there definitely is that. And I guess there are two different worlds. There are different routes you can take with music. And for me, certainly, I do actually enjoy teaching when I get the chance to do it. And I used to do lots and lots of teaching. And as the years have gone on, I've spent more time performing. I shy away a little bit from teaching now. I do feel this idea of the tradition and passing things on. I don't feel like I know enough. Do you think it's a weighty responsibility? I do, yeah. I feel the weight of it and I feel very much like a learner. I'm still learning. I want to learn more. The types of songs within your tradition, we know some of them, we're not as familiar at all as you are with this world. Like, there are love songs, presumably. Mm-hmm. There are lullabies. Yeah. And you have this part the bail yeah. phenomenon. Yeah. Well, Porsche Pale is known in English as mouth music. Porsche Pale means literally tunes from the mouth. And I guess there are kind of two schools of thought about where this kind of music came from, but I mean, certainly, I mean, at its most basic, people would sing the melodies that would be played on maybe the chanter or the fiddle or melodies that would be in existence as instrumental music, and they would put words to them. At times, maybe when there weren't instruments around for whatever reason, they would sing these melodies, so a bit like diddling, but the words would be chosen very, very carefully. Certainly, when you see some of the translations, you can kind of write these songs off as very simple little ditties that are kind of meaningless. But actually, they're very, very clever forms of composition. We take a very skilled writer to compose these lyrics, and the words were chosen with things like alliteration in mind, the weighted syllables of words would be chosen very carefully so that the weight of the syllables would match exactly the rhythm of the tune that had gone before. There was that way where the tune would come first and then the words would be composed to it and then people would sing these songs. Sometimes folk would dance to them. And then the other way around was, of course, that people would come up with these little songs and then people would play the tunes of those melodies. So I think there were two ways that they came into existence, but Porsche Bell certainly thrived over the last couple of hundred years for different reasons. Not many people had instruments, you know, and I think, you know, laterally, it's become quite a kind of showcase thing for Gaelic music. People really enjoy it. It can be a really fun thing to perform on stage and it's full of life. I guess we've got everything from like strips of spades and reels and jigs. 
Is it hard to do? Well, I have this conversation with my good friend Murna Kaulov, who's a great singer from County Kerry, and we talk about this because when we first met, we had a great relationship right from the off. We enjoyed singing together, and we found that we had kind of led this very odd, almost like parallel lives in Scotland and Ireland. We're the same age, and we've done kind of led similar lives, and we we should talk endlessly about song. And one of the biggest differences, I think, that she saw was this kind of Portia Bale tradition that we had. And she used to say, it's so difficult to sing. But I think if you're used to singing it, it doesn't become that hard. I play the bagpipes too, though, so maybe the extra oxygen and lung capacity maybe helps. I don't know. <laughs> and and you're, you're going to illustrate for us in a moment. I can't wait. But it seems also from what you're saying that it's, it may be derived from some of the shapes of piping. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the sonic shapes of the notes and piping then the poet picks words that can somehow deliver those shapes and rhythms. Absolutely, and deliver the ornamentation exactly through choosing specific words and syllables that would recreate that sound. No, we do not have that. Well, I guess you have it in diddling, but it's yeah, just but a different... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's different. I mean, in our, in our tradition, we say about fiddle players, oh, you can hear the piping in that fiddle yes. thing. Someone who might be influenced by the pipes uh-huh. or... You, you never hear somebody say, that singer is influenced by the pipes. <laughs> no. That would be like, what? I know. <laughs> so give, give us a bit of a, an illustration, perhaps, if you can. Yes, I'm trying to think what one of the things. Something you love. <laughs> Something I love. But, um... Haben dat the moor, haben dat the tiram, haben dat the moor, gonna get the yeesh, haben dat the moor, haben dat the tiram, haben dat the moor, gonna get the yeesh, get the big moor, get the big tiram, get the big moor, gonna get yeesh, haben dat the moor, haben dat the tiram, haben dat the moor, gonna get the yeesh. Gorgeous. <laughs> we, can't, we can't do that. I actually love discovering things that I can't do. <laughs> That's another one to add to the long list. But it is a wonderful thing. You've just pointed there that the sort of, it almost, to me, in my own mind, it is a kind of a metaphor for the unique process of your culture in its coalescing of pipe sounds, mm-hmm. words, then the craft of making that work as a, a song. Yeah. And kind of then a whole culture of that develops. Yeah. It's very rich. It is, and I suppose there you pointed out something that it's, it's so obvious to me, but I forget to say it sometimes, that the biggest traditions, especially in, in newest, are singing and piping. And they exist in parallel, but they also cross over and back and forth all the time in every which way. The pipe melodies influence the songwriting and the melody writing. People would write lyrics to existing pipe melodies. Words would be chosen to mimic the piping ornamentation. The two just, they, they can't be separated in many ways. Now that one you sang there now, mm-hmm. the words are delivered in very tight packages. Yes. As though the, the finger were lifting off the whole of the chanter. Yes. And just the, the sound comes popping out, that yeah. popping sound. Yes. Are they able to say something? I mean, uh, are the words chosen purely for their sonic value or can you actually have a narrative? Well, there is a narrative and they do make sense, but it might not have any real lyrical connection with, you know, the melody or... But they will say something. Yes. So that one was about a dry potato. 
<laughs> it just gets better and better. <laughs> That's something we ought to know about. I mean, uh, in, in our in our neck of the woods, it's, yeah. it's absolutely fascinating. Of course, you know that I'm from a very different part of the Gaelic world. We do think sometimes that there is a Gaelic world, don't we? We have a sense of connection. Yes. Can you tell me, do you have a sense of connection with the Gaelic world? And what is it to you? Where is it? I think it can be anywhere where there are Gaelic speakers together. I think there's a connectedness there that's very difficult to define. It's not just about the language, especially when you're crossing over between Scottish Gaelic speakers and Irish speakers. Unless you're very well tuned to both languages, that language connection can break down quite quickly and you might end up having to revert to English. But there's a persona there, there's something there that runs very deep. It's very difficult to put into words, but it exists and it's there. I know I'm biased, I'm married to an Irishman and I spend a lot of time here and I love to collaborate with Irish musicians and singers. But there is something, that ancient tradition that binds us all. It has left an imprint within us, I think, that instantly connects you to another Gael on some level or other, you know? You made a recording with Mirren mm-hmm. and you've toured with her. Was that a case in point where you were able to find expression for that connectivity with, with the larger Gaelic yes. kind of world? What was it like performing with her in that sense? It was great. It was really great. And, I mean, there were, there were four of us involved in that project. My husband, Eamon Dooley, who's an Irish speaker too, and Ross Martin from Lochaber in Scotland. And the four of us, there was a personal journey there and a great musical journey and for me, there was so much joy to it. I remember Moon saying she felt like she discovered she had this whole other family in another country. We went up to the islands and she met loads of other Gaelic speakers and musicians and singers and she just said, I just feel like you're all the same as us. We're just the same. And I think coming from Kerry and from Dunhuin particularly, she recognised the geographical connections as well as the linguistic and musical and cultural connections that exist you know so she just felt she was seeing a mirror image when she came over to visit us that's fascinating and i'm i'm assuming when you say that as well that singers like yourself and Murren, you share similar trajectories as well within the larger english-speaking culture and the decisions you have to make the choices you may make the opportunities but what you're highlighting to me is that there is this magical, invisible connection. connection. It is. It's a connection of the heart. And yeah, there's just kind of innate connection between us and it's very difficult to define, but it's there. And I know it's there, I feel it. <laughs> Yeah. 
I guess if you travelled from the bottom of the map, like from the bottom of Ireland right the way through and then up through Scotland, it feels like you're just following a map of dialects, musical dialects and language dialects also, you know, and you just follow this path and it just changes shape and evolves as you move. But the line, the connectedness is all, it's always there. That's correct. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. When you sing in your own language and when you speak, someone such as myself, I can pick up traces of what you're saying. I can follow a little bit. Is your language more proximate to the Donegal dialect? I certainly find speakers from Donegal easier to understand. But as time has gone on, and it's taken a while, but, you know, I've managed to lock into Irish a lot more now. But my, my, my guilty trick is always to slip into Scottish Gaelic when I'm answering. So oh, I, I understand. <laughs> I, un I understand what I'm hearing and then don't respond properly. And my five-year-old has now already overtaken me because she hears Irish and Gaelic. They're her kind of first languages at home. And it hasn't taken her long, so she's now five and she now speaks Irish much better than me. And I've been trying for, for ten years, but I'm still just speaking my own dialect first. You, you've travelled the whole world. You're singing for audiences through various media. We'll talk about movies and things later. But you sing in a language, not exclusively, but in real time on mm -hmm. stage. Nobody understands. I mean, what is happening then, do you think? I mean, I know you've thought about this. Mm -hmm. You must have. I think I've thought about it more of late. I think at the beginning I didn't think about it at all, which is why I was perhaps blasé enough to go up onto the stage and expect people to listen to a language they don't understand for 90 minutes, night after night. To me, the songs are so powerful. I just didn't expect for a minute that anyone would not want to listen to them, you know? And I guess in the early years, I just didn't, I didn't really question it. And it was only when people began to prompt me, oh, maybe you should be singing in English, you know, you'd get radio play, you'd get commercial success, blah, blah, You could have a much easier time of it if you started singing in English. But I released a couple of albums under my own name and I guess opportunities came along and there were certain people came along who were kind of interested in looking back, probably exploiting that. And I was encouraged by a great number of people to sing in English because at the time, looking back, they were suggesting that it would be better for me, but actually I realised it would be better for the people who were working around me. That Actually, that's what the point of it all was. But I was just too stubborn and I didn't really buckle. I didn't want to buckle for the wrong reasons. I love to sing in English when I have the chance and it's the right song. But I felt I would be, at the time, you know, a few years back, that I'd be doing it for all the wrong reasons. So I just stuck to what I wanted to do. So we just released a few albums that were all in Gaelic. We'd start touring and I found that we were able to work quite well singing in this language that is spoken by less than 1% of people of the population of Scotland, never mind the rest of the world. You know? Get the shell and call I 
Well, in that sense, it doesn't need explanation. Mm. But I'm curious nonetheless, what is the audience hearing? Because, you know, I sometimes think the English language is now kind of the global language. Yes. And people assume that they will always understand what the singer is talking about, no matter how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in pop or whatever, yeah. how t miserable it can be sometimes and yeah. how wonderful other times. Yeah. In our case, people like yourself, you're depending on other things to be transmitted. Yes. What are they, do you think? History, emotion, and I guess you're trying to pass on essentially the message of the writer, the writer that you've never met. You've only heard possibly one or two people ever delivering the song and they've told it to you and you're trying to deliver it both in your own style but taking very much from the singer who has given it to you. So you're trying to kind of carry all of that and deliver it in three, four or five minutes of song, you know. I sometimes think when I'm singing these songs, it's one of the moments of the day where I don't have to be anybody else. I don't have to be the person talking on the radio or the mum or the this or that. There's something very honest about just standing on the stage and delivering a traditional song, passing it on to an audience. It's just that's who I am. It's lovely, isn't it? Now, <laughs> we can't let you go without talking about no. the big ticket item. The Brave. The Brave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good the way she came in there. The Brave. The Brave. But, it must have been a wonderful experience. It certainly was an amazing achievement. When the cold winds are calling And the sky is clear and bright Misty mountains sing and beckon Lead me out into the light I will ride, I will fly Chase the wind and touch the sky I will fly, chase the wind and touch the sky What was that experience like for you working in, in that project, Brave? In all honesty, it was a great experience. It really was. It was incredible to work with, especially the team at Pixar. Such a dynamic team of people who are so in love with their work, so energised by their work and so keen to push the boundaries of technology and animation and bring to life this landscape that they were completely inspired by. They came up to the Highlands of Scotland and toured around. I mean, they literally, you know, they lay in the heather for hours looking at the colours of the sky and making notes and drawing and taking pictures of the colours of the heather, how the sky changes over the course of the day, the colours of the water, the dark colours of the, of the different types of green on the mountains. And they really wanted to recreate that in animation and make people excited about Scotland whilst having, obviously, this kind of humorous story going on at the same time, you know, not historically accurate or anything. And we had such good fun working with them and they were so open to our ideas. And the amazing thing for me, which isn't, I've never really mentioned it to anyone before actually, but the amazing thing for me was the time that they spent considering having the songs in Gaelic. And we spoke at length about this and they considered it and they went quite away into placing Gaelic in their world. They seriously considered it and then at the end of the road they decided that for best storytelling and for lots of other reasons that they needed it to be in English. But they sat down with us and they spoke about it and they took the language seriously and they ran with the idea. 
And I, I loved them for that. It wasn't dismissed. It was, no, this is a really valid point. Let's, it's a really good idea. Let's talk this out. And they went a long way with it. And um, although it wasn't used very much, they did use it in the film. It wasn't used as much as perhaps I would have liked, but I'll always be campaigning for more and more. But, but they were great. They listened to everything that we had to say and wanted to have us involved, and they were inspiring. You're a fighter for the language in some ways. That's the impression I get. Well, do you know, I never ever try to be or set out to be or anything, but I think the older I get, the more stubborn I get and the more set in my ways I get. And you kind of stand up for what you believe is right. You mentioned earlier that when you sing in your language, yeah. it's you, it's a tradition, and you're kind of one thing. Mm -hmm. But in Brave, you had to incorporate another person, a kind of a personality, you, you had to play a role Yes. using your voice. Talk to me about that. What was that like? It was quite challenging, actually. That whole process of singing in Breathe was challenging on a few different levels. One, because I was recording in English for the first time, and I actually didn't know what I sounded like in English. I, I've sung in English plenty of times. I sing around the house all the time in English, you know. And I've, I've collaborated with loads of other artists. But I guess looking back, you know, if you're singing backing vocals for someone, you kind of instinctively take on their style and their, maybe even a little bit of their accent and in terms of delivery, you know, because you're trying to blend in with another singer. So I, I had never really led a song in English by myself. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what I sounded like. I didn't know what my accent was in English. This love, it is a distant star Guiding us home wherever we are This love, it is a burning song light on the things that we've done I tried to speak to you every day but each word we spoke the wind blew away Could these walls come crumbling down I want to feel Also, you're saying these words, you know, it's not come from a tradition or a place that you're familiar with. It's coming from California via Skype. <laughs> and, uh, we're having a conference call discussing the words and how to deliver the words and how to accent some of the words. And in terms of a creative process, it was a very different creative process for me. A big step. A big step, but one that was really enjoyable and I think as a singer, you enjoy taking a challenge on, something different. It's good for the head, it's good for the soul, I think, to take something else on. And interestingly, at the time, I was pregnant with my second child, and I had a two-year-old, and I remember being on this conference call. The second song was called Into the Open Air, and this was a point of the film where it kind of explores the mother-daughter relationship. And they were saying, do you have any idea about this? Can you imagine this tension, this mother-daughter relationship? 
And I remember having a laugh about it at the time, thinking, I've got a two-year-old and I already understand this intense relationship that exists between a mother and her daughter, even at the age of two years old. I guess even from that tiny age, they're trying to define their own character and be their own person. And so, in a way, it felt really appropriate doing this song because I felt like I was just beginning that journey myself with my own. You had an insight. I think so. And I've been nodding my head here because yeah. I have two daughters and yeah. they're gorgeous human beings. But they, when they were younger, they were, they were, they were hard on mommy sometimes. Yeah. There, there was a battle of wills there. There was yes. sort, of a, sort of a kind of a strange energy that didn't happen with my son. Yes. But uh, so you, that enabled you, if I read you correctly, yeah. to get into that character, get into that yeah. headspace. And is this what they wanted you to do? Is it? Yeah, they did. And it was the first time I'd ever really had to do anything like that. Again, perhaps the fact that I was I was very heavily pregnant. I was eight months pregnant when we did the final vocal. I was the size of a house. But thankfully for me, the baby was lying in a certain way that allowed me still to sing. And in some ways, I listened back to the track and I sang in a way that I don't usually sing. I don't sing in that style when I'm singing traditional song. And you kind of had, had to really project and, and really let it out, you know. It was incredible that I really managed it at that stage of pregnancy. But it was a great experience and... Something that made me think again in a different way about songs and how people relate to songs. And of course, in the aftermath of Brave, you know, we go out to tour America and people are, they, you know, they connect with these songs in a way that I find difficult to comprehend coming from, you know, a, a tradition. Mm -hmm. I kind of, uh, you know, we don't have the big hits. The big hits are no. really... There aren't really, any. They're really small hits. With yeah. it, you know? like, <laughs> they're a series of little tiny hits. Yeah, yeah. So it's incredible to see how the song has reached people. Do you know, there's like hundreds of millions of views online and kind of it's kind of mind-blowing, really. Did it allow your audience to meet you more readily and you meet them? I think it definitely offered us something different and certainly in the United States of America. When we went back to the States after Brave, there was a different feeling apart from the fact that the average age of our audiences came down considerably <laughs> <laughs> apart from that uh, and there were lots of little children with bows and arrows and things like apart from that um there, there was this there was you know we had we play in universities and there would be you know like hundreds of teenagers and young 20 somethings coming along to the gig and screaming and it's just you know like that's not what that's not the kind of world that we, we exist in you know but in a way could it be said that you did a number of things simultaneously there. You, you gave your audience access to you and your work. You gave your songs access to the world by doing one, this one thing. Yeah. But you, did, you don't feel compromised by it, I'm no. sure. No. And, and no, no reason for you to. Was it a better thing to do than, say, an English language album with all the bells and whistles? Yeah. I, I've never said no to an English language album. I would just need to have the right songs that's the only thing for me. I don't know what I would sing. I wish I could write my song. I, I wish I could yeah. write. In fact, I don't really wish I could write songs. I get so much pleasure of yes. singing old songs. I don't feel the yearning or the need to write my own songs. I mean, why would you? There's so there's hundreds of amazing songs there to be sung. I mean, I can relate to just about everything you're saying on yeah. the subject. Maybe you realise that. Yeah. 
because I've had very similar arguments. Mm. And my take on your story is that it was a very good, nice, clean, beautiful way of reaching more people mm -hmm. with your own work. Yeah. That really was a brilliant move. Well, do you know what? I remember at the time thinking, I wonder, is this a good thing to do? And obviously it was always going to be about the song and the quality of the song and if it was going to connect to me in some way. But the biggest thing for me was when I met the team who were producing the movie, directing the movie, and the head of the music department, when I saw their commitment to trying to make Scotland come to life through really high quality animation, I was carried away with them by their adventure to do... yeah and their attention to detail, and I, I loved everything about them. And that persuaded me that they were people that I would like to work with. There are different kinds of creative activity, you know. Yeah. There is carrying the tradition and doing your tours, but yeah. there's also creating songs to order for specific purposes. Yeah. Like in this case, you had to embody a character and carry that over mm -hmm. with confidence and fill out the storyline using it and there's singing on the stage and drama and yeah. all kinds of funny things. So it, it has a place, doesn't it? it? It absolutely does. I think when you're a working and touring professional musician, then, I mean, it's your job too. You have to be able to be open to other ideas and, and other things. What other things would you like to do? Well, it's funny, the big festival in Glasgow, the big winter festival, Celtic Connections, is the only place to be kind of in Scotland in January. You have to get to Glasgow and it's just bubbling with musicians and singers and it's just every year you're continually inspired by something that you see or somebody that you meet. And I had three performances and the first two were the opening weekend, Friday and Saturday night. And I was singing a concert with a great friend of mine, a wonderful tradition bearer, and my favourite singer in the world, Mary Smith from Lewis, who has given me many, many songs. I know Mary, she's yeah. wonderful, isn't she? She's absolutely incredible. And um, so this was her concert with Mary Smith and Friends. And so we had Myra and Trina Newgonal and Julie Murphy from Wales and some singers from Lewis, Callum Alec McMillan and Caitlin Smith and wonderful musicians. And the following night then I was singing as a guest of a band from Quebec called Le Vent de Nord. And it struck me on the Sunday and only really because somebody tweeted me. They said, wow, well done for singing in five languages over two nights. And I thought, did I? And then I, co I counted them up. I was like, yes, we did. Yeah, there was the Scottish Gaelic and Irish and Welsh and French. And I did one song in English as a duet with Emily Smith from Scotland. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's really interesting. You know? It's a bit of a record. I think you should contact the Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But it made Seriously? Me, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it just made me think about, about singing and collaborating with people and singing in different languages. And I guess that thing, there's people always in my ear about singing in English. And it made me think, well, I sang in five languages that weekend. And of all of those, I sang a few in, few in Welsh, a few in Irish loads in Gaelic and four or five in French and there was one in English and I thought well maybe we should think about doing a, a all, record or all something all languages yeah and then put them all not in their place but they're all gives equal and valid and gives you a bit of chance to just spread out and explore the sound of different languages through song hey, oh, I can hear 
That's a fascinating idea because the English language it has a tyranny over music. Yeah. Globally, I mean, it, it just does. has. It really does. You cannot really make a pop record unless it's in English. You can't. No. Unless you're like Sigur Ross did it, but they were so lucky that yes. they had Radiohead yeah. and that tour. Yeah. And you know, then they had their own Elvish language. But but that's that was very lucky, wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, that was like one in a billion. I know. I know. But your take on this is very good because you're saying, I can sing all these languages and I won't place one over the other. Yeah. They, they should be equal. Yes, and why not? You know, that's the way it should be. Yeah. Why yeah. do people sing? Why, why do they need to do this? Is it an innate... Like, you, you have children, you hear them singing, mm -hmm. they, they do it. I mean, I, animals don't sing, but my little dog tries. Yeah. But <laughs> honestly, he does. He has his thing. When he's trying to communicate, he, it's not barking. No. It's a kind of distinct kind of... He's trying to say stuff, but anyway, it's fascinating. But why do we find that people have this great desire to sing? What do you think it is? <laughs> there's great solace in singing. I think people instinctively sing. They sing to connect with other people, to communicate, express sorrow and joy and despair. And I think it's so difficult to put into words sometimes, but I hear my children singing and they're not singing for anyone, only themselves. Nobody's asked them to sing. We don't, as parents, myself and Eamon, we don't ask them to sing. They'll be playing with their toys and they'll sing the story, maybe of what the, the toys are doing, what the little dolls are doing, what they're speaking, you know, what their their little conversation will turn into a song and they'll not go back to conversation. And I guess just like in the same way that maybe children will draw a picture and colour it in that might express something that's in their minds or happening in their lives. I see with my own kids that that can come out through song as well, just very naturally. They're not thinking about it. And before they're self-aware and nervous or don't want to be, you know, seen to be singing or anything before they become, have that kind of, that self-aware thing. It's beautiful to listen to and to see. It shows me that it's just, it's within, that it comes from inside you. It's maybe even in some cases unstoppable. And I think at times of really heightened emotion, I think people do turn to song. It's why when you lose people that you love, beautiful words are, are written and then they're sung. And when you say goodbye to people, when they're leaving us for the final time, people always want music, they want song. I think it's the most natural and true and basic thing you can do as, as a human, just to, to convey emotion in that heightened state, is to sing. You could say the words and they could be very moving and have great impact, but by singing those words, it has a far greater impact on those who are listening. 
It can move them in ways that the spoken word can't. Beautiful. It's wonderful. It's really marvellous. Emma.